Andre Dawson, Hall of Famer from the Chicago Cubs, and you're listening to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast featuring everybody's favorite coach, Coach Manaman. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Manaman. Welcome back to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. As always, this is everybody's favorite coach, Coach Manaman. And for you, Walter Golden Eagles fan, this is an exciting episode for you as Coach Corey Tischer will be checking in, stepping into the batter's box shortly via the Dugout Sports Hotline. Wallert Catholic is headed back to the state tournament for the ninth time in program history, field by great pitching, timely hitting, and speedsters on the base pass. The Golden Eagles are hungry to bring back some hardware. This episode and this season of the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast would not be possible if it was not for our great sponsors. Dugout Sports in Fairfax, Iowa. Train where the pros in Iowa train. The New Eagle Group, Nolan Weber Insurance, fully distributing and genuine landscape and design. Batter up, here comes Coach Tischer. Joining us via the Dugout Sports Hotline is head coach from Wallert Catholic, Corey Tischer. Coach, we're going to start off with an audience question who came in from one of your sophomore players, uh, Brody Schumacher. And when I read the question, I laughed and I sent him a a message back and I said, there's no way he's asking this, but I just want to get your reaction. Here we go. Brody Schumacher, <laughs> utility player for that Wallert sophomore team. I love that Wallert sophomore team. What a great group of coaches. What a great group of guys. He wants to know, who are you pitching first game? And who are you planning on throwing second game, the championship game? And what is your pitching outline for the state tournament? Well, uh, Brody, Brody lives about one minute from me, so he should just uh, walk up the street a little bit and knock on my door. When, you know, I might share it with him personally versus you know the, the thousands of people that will listen to this. But um, <laughs> our plan, I mean, I'm not going to go through all that here because, one, I'm not 100% sure. But uh, our plan is to start Bryce Rudiger on Monday. Um, it is a little quicker turnaround than you know what he's accustomed to, but that is our plan as long as he recovers well, which we'll find out here. You know, probably tomorrow uh, for sure. But, uh, but yeah, he, he, he's playing on starting Monday, and, you know, we will uh, use anybody and everybody, Brody, uh, to hopefully win on Monday. That's our only focus right now. I can't believe you answered that question. I didn't even think I was going to get Bryce Rudiger out of you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, pretty much, I, for the most part, I would think most people are probably going to turn around. Most people's won probably through on Wednesday night. And most people will turn around and throw their one again on Monday. I mean, some people did back in 2017. We started Alex Stemp, our number two round one, instead of Austin Savory because um, we want Austin to throw against Assumption them. But uh, with where we're at right now and the quality of you know the team of Ballard right away, we feel we need to go with our best, and Bryce is our best. Well, you mentioned Bryce Rudiger on the mound. Let's talk about him. He's got a record of five and one, two saves. 53 and two-thirds innings pitch. He's got an ERA sub two of 1.57, 55 strikeouts, and to quote Ace Ventura, one hell of a model American. <laughs> well, Ace, Ventura, uh, Ace Ventura must know Bryce because he is. And that was the first thing I was going to say. Bryce is just a, a great dude, and first and foremost, like athletically, he's just he's an athlete. 
All right, he is an athlete who has grown and developed into to a pitcher. If you would have told me Bryce's sophomore year he would be as good on the mound as he is for us, I would have said you're probably you know you're probably a little bit crazy. I mean, you're already an A's fan, so you are a little bit crazy. But um, you know, Bryce Bryce has done a great job for us. I mean, he he worked through some things. The subs they found against Dewitt. You know, he wasn't um, you know. He didn't locate as well as he normally does, you know. So, I mean, he walked a, a decent amount of guys, but he persevered and got through, you know, five innings of shutout baseball against a good DeWitt team. So, uh, yeah, he's just an ultimate competitor, great guy, great athlete. So, we're excited. Wallert's coming off a year where they are 29 and 13 overall. They've currently won three in a row, and they were 18 and 10 in the conference. So, yesterday, I uh, was snooping around the Wallert complex, and I saw something I've never seen in 20 years of baseball. I saw Jack Walsh having a bullpen, and there was no catcher. He was getting his sign. He was coming set. He was checking the runners. What the heck was going on the other night? So I didn't go to your game. I uh, We had a rainstorm that day, and I had yard work that my wife said that I, I needed to do, and I chose to listen to the game while doing my yard work late at night, and there were two box called on two consecutive plays, so what what, what talk to me about those plays what was going on did maybe DeWitt Central put something in the umpire's ear that maybe they saw in some advanced scouting that Jack was doing what was going on there well we're going to we're, that's, that's a deep question a lot of things so first of all number one yes I know it rained on Wednesday we had the field tarp down and being a great weatherman that I am we thought the rain was done at one o'clock we pulled the tarp off you know, a good friend that I thought you were, you live on the other side of town from our field. That would have been nice of you to call me to tell me it was pouring 10 minutes away um, instead of letting our field get absolutely soaking wet. By the way, our our coaching staff, not myself, but our varsity coaching staff, our lower-level coaching staff, they are the reason why we played uh, Wednesday night. i got to give them a shout-out because they busted their butt from pretty much 2 to 6 o'clock to get that field in pretty good playing condition. Uh, the flip to Jack, yeah, he got called for two bucks. Um you know, the first one definitely uh, was a balk. Uh, get pause, ran through it, or your whatever your lingo is as an umpire. Uh, the second one, we, we weren't 100% sure, to be honest with you, what he did wrong. Uh, it was just one of those things that, you know, whether or not he did something we didn't see, he wasn't sure. And, you know, um, yeah, so not 100% sure, but uh, it'll be fine. We're good. Let's talk about Jack Walsh, the closer. So early before the season started, you had mentioned him, and he was a little bit of a concern to you, but we know two years ago he had a great year. And then last year, to your standards and to Jack's standards, I think Jack would be the first to admit that he probably didn't have the year he would have hoped for. This year, he has been outstanding on the mound, set the state record for saves with 12, and record-wise, he's 2-1 and one overall, ERA below 1 of 0.78, 38 strikeouts in 27 innings of work. What's his closer mentality like? Because closers tend to be a little bit more odd. And talk to me about his year on the mound and then also in the batter's box as well. Yeah, I mean, Jack has put his full trust uh full trust in us as coaches, which, uh, you know, sometimes might not be the easiest thing for, for any player to do. So, I mean, 
Jackie's going to co-college, which I think, honestly, last year is your season, which, like you said, it goes well for him or for us that we thought it would. You know, I, and then that, I think he was just putting so much pressure on himself because there was a lot of colleges interested in him. So, you know, I think just kind of relieved some of that unnecessary or unneeded extra pressure. So he's just been able to enjoy this season. So, you know, coming into the year, we, we I mean, Jack was pretty much our closer for the most part the last two years, but we didn't really use a true closer, just especially with, you know, Aaron Savory throwing seven innings every game and, you know, things like that. But um, we plan on having him getting longer to probably end up being our number our, our number two, you know, and we had an injury right at the beginning of the year. We had to shuffle some things around and just be really mindful of arms. You know, we started him uh, at the end of week one, you know, and, you know, his velocity dropped a little bit as, as the game went on and his arm didn't recover really well from that. So we just kind of shifted that process and just kind of, um, you know, turned him into this this closer. And, yeah, it's it's weird. I think he's appeared in 20 of our 41 ball games. You know, he has a 12 save. So he's kind of relished in this, uh, this role. Um, and it's nice to know that we have, you know, one of our better arms available on the back end, you know, uh, when, when the game dictates that we need somebody. So, Coach, I, I do want to tell you this. Um, I sent both of my kids to daycare wearing Brewers stuff. Not exactly. Yeah, <laughs> not not sure how they got Brewers stuff or why we have Brewers stuff. But my two year old Alex is wearing his Brewers shirt and my my daughter Annie is wearing her Brewers shirt with her Brewers skirt today. And the reason why I'm talking about my kids and I'm talking about the Brewers is we're talking closers. And it's great to see how since you and I started watching baseball how it's changed. It used to be your starter would go seven innings. You'd have your setup man. You'd have your closer. And Iowa high school baseball really hadn't had closers until they implemented the pitch count a couple of years ago. So it's great to see Jack Walsh having a great year. And it's also great to see that closer coming back. Quite a few teams are using them. I want to talk about a rough patch in the year. I don't know if I'm breaking umpire code mentioning this, but I'm going to break umpire code. <laughs> I did your North Scott game where you guys lost 14 to one. And I left that game thinking that North Scott was a viable state champion. They just played that, that well. And I know you had some guys that were away at track, but I left thinking it might be a long year for Corey. That led to a stretch where Waller lost three in a row and lost five of their next six games. How did you rebound? Um, I listened back a little bit to our season preview, and there are some guys that have switched around. I know Jack Walsh was a catcher and then at times played third and he had to transition back to short. And I, I assumed he would transition back to third, but he ended up staying at shortstop through the remainder of the year. So what was the turning point in the season? When did it start to turn around? How did you as a coach get the guys back on board to turn it around? And what changes have been made since you last appeared on the podcast at the start of the year? 
I mean, for sure. I mean, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't think you broke umpire code. I mean, you pretty much spoke the truth. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is you didn't umpire another game after that one, man. <laughs> I mean, let's call it. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't invited back to a varsity game after, after the horse crap zone I had in the JV game. Right. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, man. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, first of all, North Scott is a really good team. Uh, that Ian did that pitched against us last night in plus arm. And he, uh, he I made mean, us look really bad that game. Um, you know, we were missing a couple guys, but I looked at that as opportunities for others. And some of those guys are playing really meaningful for us right now that maybe they get that experience there. Those couple games, we were missing some people. And then uh, Central Champagne, you know, who came in, you know, from five hours to play us on Saturday. You know, and they, they won four. I mean, there's 1,400 kids in their high school. They won four or five tournament games, you know, and they did a lot of little things well and kind of exposed things that we had not practiced yet and things like that, you know. And then, you know, we played Beckman on the Tuesday, which we got a nice win there, you know, and obviously they're really good. And then playing Cedar Rapids Prairie, who we thought was probably one of the top two teams we played all year, you know, and competed really well with them for two games. So, yeah, we lost those five of the six. You know, but really only got pounded, per se, one of them. But, you know, it was good just to play those teams. Like, that's why I love playing the schedule that we do, because if we don't do certain things well or we kick it around more than, you know, more than we should, um, you know, it's going to get exposed and you're going to get beat by, you know, a lot of teams that we play. So, honestly, just schedule and keeping guys like, yep, when we do these things, we're not going to beat teams that are, you know, better than us. Realistically, we have to do little things better or even, you know, teams that – aren't as good as us they're you know in the game of baseball you know anybody can win but uh and with that we have a shout out to uh coach stab from uh central champagne i mean um you know he came up here and we have not i mean i think we i texted him once maybe during this postseason run and you know uh he, he texted me multiple times the other night um you know just congratulating and thanking us for the experience of coming up here you know so a big shout out to him um for um you know continuing to follow us here after meeting us a couple months ago I do want to talk about some of the changes the roster had made. So I, I had shared this that I, I, it seemed like every Friday the sophomore team had a home game. I was the umpire there, which was great. I, I really enjoyed that group of guys. But that sophomore roster kept on dwindling and dwindling and dwindling. And at one point, I, I swore they were playing with eight guys, a left center fielder and a right center fielder, because you had stolen – all of the sophomore guys to fill out your varsity roster. But talk to us about some of those guys who didn't start up on the varsity roster and have really put in a great year. I, I can think of Fody off the top of my head. I saw yeah. him at a couple sophomore games and then didn't see him again. Uh, Will Speck was just um, dugout sports dude of the night a couple nights ago. Talk to us about those younger guys that have come up and have really provided a spark to the Golden Eagles. Yeah, you're right. We, we're really mindful on any any movement that you do, whether it's movement full-time or movement just for certain games because – you might need another, you know, you know, an arm potentially or a spot start. So really mindful on on the movement because, you know, you're taking away from a team, you're bringing another guy. I mean, when I say like take away from a freshman team or a sophomore team, but bring them on your team, you know, we've done that from time to time throughout the years. But this year, I mean, it was every Sunday. We would kick out a message to about three or four of guys that are on our sophomore team. Here's your plan for the week. You know, so it almost felt like a GM at times, you know, just moving things around and, you know, hey, we need to catch a red-eyed flight to get you to, uh, no, here and there. <laughs> but, um, 
but yeah, you know, both, both Will, Will Specht and Bodie Nagelmaker, they'd been us up with us full time all year. But then, and then the rest of them, yeah, Florida Gopolis, you know, we, we didn't really know where he would be to start the year, you know, and he looked really good in our, you know, preseason workouts. And once we started practicing, so thought he'd have a chance to be up one game a week on the mound, some at bats here and there. And now in the postseason here, he's kind of been our DH. So he's had a really nice year. I mean, he ended up being honorable mention all conference, you know, as a pitcher, you know, he's just continued to improve and credit to him and the work that he did, you know, in the off season, both as a pitcher and, uh, you know, as a batter. Um, the second sophomore would be Carter Brantz. You know, we went through a stretch in the program where our, our catching depth as a program was a, was a concern for us. And right now, we feel, you know, in our entire program, we have multiple catchers. So, you know, Carter, Carter's a very talented kid behind the play. But he was just kind of landlocked positionally that we had both Jack Walsh and Bodie Nagelmaker. You know, they want to bring Carter up to just maybe catch here and there. So he spot started a little bit the first half of the season. And as you uh, figured out, you know, once we had to move Jack, you know, to pretty much play infield full time, you know, Carter's been up with us full time here the last three weeks. You know, in our double headers, he's catch game two, you know, here in the postseason, you know, he's backing up Bodie if something were happened to Bodie, you know, and then potentially pinch hit. And then the last one is Brandon Comer. Um, you know, he's going to have a bright future here as well. You know, we didn't have a lefty, uh, lefty pitcher to start the year. And, you know, we've watched Brandon last year as an eighth grader, and he came up the pitch on the sophomore team last year as an eighth grader, did a real good job. You know, and he started pretty much three games down for the sophomore team, and he had two no-hitters and, like, a one-hitter. So we decided to bring him up and, you know, start on some of those midweek non-conference games, and he, he threw well. So then we started getting him in a conference start, you know, and he's continued to work hard and improve and uh, has started a very good role in, you know, one of those things that, you know, you know, age is just a number and he, he doesn't look like a freshman or act like a freshman when he's out there with us. So, you know, it's been a, it's been a lot of fun seeing their growth and, and a credit to the guys that have been on varsity all year. You know, we haven't had a single question about, hey, why is he coming up, why they're coming up, just full confidence in, in us as a staff that we are doing what we feel is best for us and the development of each individual as a whole. The Wallert program over the years had always had a stud freshman pitcher. You can help me out with this, but I know for the longest time it was the Sabri boys. And what was the other kid's name? He was a right-hander. He started as yeah. an eighth grader. I remember he beat yeah. Western Jared. Duke as an eighth grader. Yeah. Uh, Jared, Jared Walter, man. Yeah. He was, a uh, he was a four-year varsity, one of our first four-year varsity guys. Uh, yeah, he was our number one as a freshman. Uh, yeah. Jared Walter would have been a 20, 21 grad. So he would have been up what, 2018. Um, was his first year up with us? It's funny you mentioned being a GM. The great thing about being the GM of a high school baseball program is they don't have options like they do in the major leagues. So if you option a guy too many times, Hempstead or Western Dubuque or Senior can't pick him up. I do want to talk about this because we know that NIL money is a big thing. I am going to copyright Brandon Cummer's nickname. So, Brandon, if you choose to use this nickname over the next couple of years, we're going to have to sit down and have a conversation on how much cut I'm going to get. But his nickname moving forward is going to be Big Game Brandon Cummer because I can see him having a bright future for the Golden Eagles. I do want to talk about Ryan Brosius. Now, you and I – have been texting back and forth the past couple of weeks for all the wrong reasons. And you had said at one time that Ryan Brosius was a couple stolen bases away from who I think is the best baseball player that I've ever coached in my entire life, Riley McCarron. Did Ryan 
with 50 stolen bases and 52 opportunities. Has he passed Riley McCarron's program record yet for stolen bases? Yeah, he did. He did. At some point here, you'll see that on our Twitter feed. Just they haven't got around to doing that yet. But yeah, Riley, Riley had 48 stolen bases. Ryan out broke. It would have been uh, the district final Monday night against Solon, uh, where he uh, he stole second base uh, to get his 49th, and actually he was still pitching. So uh, right, wrong, and different. We we courtesy ran for him um, two for one because I think there was two outs, so he could get a you know a drink of water before he goes pitching too. You know, wanted him to take it in that 30-second moment because uh, that is, you know, that is a record I, I didn't think would ever be broken. And Ryan, and, and honestly, Ryan missed, as we talked, I mean, he missed, uh, would have missed four of our games with, with, with state track there. So, I mean, um, so that's even more impressive. And the flip side of that, and I know, um, you know, Riley was on your episode with Jesse, and I listened to that. And actually, I texted Riley yesterday, hey, man, um, you know, just about, you know, Jesse and the podcast, he did a great job. And then I uh, followed up with him. Hey, I also want to let you know, you know, Ryan Brocious uh, has broken your uh, your record. He's like, hey, man, all right, records are made to be broken. I'm so happy for him. You know, and that's just a testament of uh, who Riley is. Because honestly, and I told Riley this as well, all right, Ryan is very, very similar to Riley just with the type of baseball player they are. I mean, they're both going to Iowa. Um, but the type, their, their, their size, their demeanor, but uh, most importantly, the quality of dude that they are. So, uh, you know, I don't think Riley knows Ryan personally, but he would be even more proud to know him. You know, pretty much a younger version of himself uh, broke his stolen base record. You mentioned earlier in the episode that I am an Oakland A's fan. So when Ryan broke Riley's record, did he pull the base out? raise it above his head and did Marv Muller run out with a microphone and did Ryan say, thank you. I am now the greatest baseball player of all time. Like Oakland A's great Ricky Henderson did when he beat the stolen base record. I knew that's what you're saying. Um, <laughs> no, it's just that his head coach is too, is too mean and wouldn't let him do something like that. Plus, honestly, <laughs> he wouldn't want he wouldn't want that off much individual attention, especially in that type of game environment. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think that's happening during a playoff game. I you did mention uh, the Jesse Freiberger tribute episode, and and I want to talk about one of my favorite moments so far of the postseason. I, I saw a picture that you guys took. I actually shared it on my Facebook page, Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast, if you're not following. And that picture and that post and it's alone has been viewed over 3,000 times on Facebook. But there's a picture of everybody wearing the Stronger Together shirt that was a fundraiser for Jesse and his family in a way to show support. What uh, What's the significance behind the Wallert guys still wearing that shirt, still yeah. supporting Jesse, even though he's since passed? And I don't think a lot of your players being private school students would have had Jesse as, as an educator. So tell me a little bit about the program's thinking on moving forward with that shirt. And you mentioned in Jesse's tribute episode that the guys wear it during pregame warmups. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think most of the guys didn't know who Jesse was. Um, obviously, we've talked about him leading up to his his benefit, and then when things, um, you know, kind of went downhill there, and then obviously with his with his passing, you know, we've, I've talked about him so many times. We've prayed, you know, we still continue to pray for him and his family uh, at the end of every practice and game. You know, so I I asked the guy we played at Cedar Rapids County on Monday, July third. 
you know, had Jesse had passed um, that that Friday. So I asked the guys, hey, you know, do we still have their shirt? And they're like, yeah, I'm like, sweet, we're going to wear it for pregame on Monday. Awesome. And then uh, we're practicing on that Thursday, the night before we played uh, Benton Shellsburg in a district opener. And one of our seniors came over, you know, as we were, you know, talking, you know, I guess before practice. And he's like, hey, uh, hey, we, we talked. And we, Is it okay if we continue to wear Jesse's shirts for pregame? And I'm like, holy cow. I mean, I just absolutely uh, lost it, to be honest with you, because you know, they, you know, they know he means, you know, a lot to me personally, you know, but just hearing his story and, and they have connections to him and his extended family that I don't think they, they were aware of at that point. So just to know that, you know, we're, we're playing a highly competitive game, you know, but there's, there's more to it and it's bigger than themselves. So that's something they have asked to do. So yeah, we will continue to wear them because, uh, you know, him and his family continue to be with us and uh, we're supporting them um, the best that we can. Coach, two guys that are a lot bigger than me and might be upset if I don't give them a mention that have been a huge part of the Eagles program are Seamus Crahan and Patrick Fitzgerald. Both those guys are hitting over 320. Seamus hitting at a mark of 322. Patrick Fitzgerald hitting at a mark at 352. Both of them mid-20s and RBIs. Senior leadership, those guys are both seniors. What have they provided in terms of leadership and just the pop in the lineup for the Golden Eagles? Yeah, yeah. No, I can sit here talk about all of our, I mean, all, all 22 of them. Um, so, yeah, uh, Seamus, we'll, we'll go Seamus first. Like, we, we um, Seamus has always been a real nice player for us, but he, he didn't love baseball. You know, he loves basketball. He loves football. You know, and after his sophomore year, like um, – you know, we had heard that he probably wasn't going to be coming out for baseball. And I just kind of left him alone. You know, I'm at a lot of basketball games. We'd say hi, but really didn't have that baseball talk because I mean, you know, I'm not going to beg anybody to come play for us. You know, and a, a week before our, our uh, his junior season, so last year, he reached out to me. We sat down and talked and uh, he decided to come out. And, you know, two years later, you know, he's a second team all conference, first baseman batting, you know, whatever, 330. You know, he's just a real, real nice player. So I'm happy for Seamus and, uh, you know, he's fallen you know, he's falling in love with baseball here now, you know, so I'm super happy for um, his decision, obviously, because he's done a great job. He makes our team better. And uh, Patrick Fitzgerald, just another good dude. You know, he uh, he pretty much came up as a third baseman, and we switched him over to second base last year as a junior. And for me in our program, second base is probably the hardest position to play because my expectations for them from the mental side of it are pretty pretty deep because that was my position um, as well personally. And, and last year, he'll be the first one to tell you, you know, he didn't have a clue what he was doing. Like, he would rotate the wrong way and do different things. And, you know, we leave the base open from here and there. You know, this year he has started all, what do we have, 42 games. He started all 42 games, I think, at second base, you know, and just does a great job in the four hole. You know, he doesn't care how, all right, but he knows when he's up, unless he gets asked upon to, to bunt or to move a runner, his goal, and pretty much should be all of our guys' goal, is to get 90 feet closer to us scoring the run. So he's going to do everything possible to get the first base or second base, whether that's, you know, getting a hit, getting a double, getting a walk, and hit by pitch. You know, he is going to do everything he can to get 90 feet because that's 90 less feet for us to score a run. So can't say enough about um, those two. Coach Tischer and myself will be coming back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Dugout Sports in Fairfax, Iowa is a proud sponsor of the Dubuque 
area baseball podcast, Train, where the pros in Iowa train at Dugout Sports. They have top-notch instructors, offer amazing camps, led by owner and operator Jay Wannell. Find them on Facebook or with a simple Google search, Dugout Sports in Fairfax, Iowa, to get all your information. Coach, the Eagles are making their ninth trip to the state tournament, your fifth since taking over as head coach. I think probably one of the best baseball names I've heard in all of baseball. The best one is the Kimberly Papermakers out of Wisconsin. But you open up as the four seed coming in at 29 and 13 versus the Ballad Bombers, the number five seed coming in at 21 and 10. What can you tell us? What do we know about the Ballad Bombers? Yeah, uh, Coach Furlong, um, he's, a, he's a Davenport guy. He played at Central. Um, he coached, he's just a coach at Marshall Town for Coach Hanson, who uh, was very similar to Coach Rowland, just a legendary coach. Um, and he took over the Ballard program a few years ago. So, uh, you know, so he's, he's going to have them prepared. Um, you know, they play in a really, really good 3A conference, very similar to the Walmack, the top two-thirds of their team. I mean, there's two teams from their conference that are at the state tournament, them in Carlisle. Um, actually, there's three. Uh, they did North Polk as well. You know, ADM was ranked uh, in the top 10 all year, you know. Um, so they are in a very, very good 3A conference. And to win, you know, what was it, 2021 games, um, obviously they're very talented. You know, they have, um, you know, the top half of their lineup is really, really good. They have a Rouse kid, you know, in the leadoff hole that's batting like 4-10. You know, he, you know he, he's really good on the mound as well. You know, so we've, uh, you know, yesterday, what is today, Friday. So yesterday, Thursday, I said, hey, you work, you work, you know, you're in and out of meetings with the state and different things, getting travel arrangements. But, you know, the priority is to try to get as much information as you can against a team that, you know, we haven't had eyes on, which is something different for us. So we were able to get a decent amount of information and some videos and whatnot. So that'll be our thing today to kind of compile that uh, all together. But um, from what we've seen so far, they do a lot of little, little things well. And we know, um, you know, we're going to have to be at our best if we want to have one more run at the end of the ballgame. Coach, the Dubuque community is is really excited. Um, I covered six teams in the preseason. Four of them are making an appearance at the state tournament. A lot of people are talking about a potential second round matchup, which would take place on July 19th at noon against potential, I'm sorry, defending state champion, the Western Dubuque Bobcats. So I'm curious, have you picked up the phone and called Coach Casey Bryant asking him for advanced scouting reports on his team? Um, well, one, just because people like to fact check you, and once in a while you you throw out, I know you're going to fact check me, Tish. So uh, first of all, um, regardless of who wins on Monday, um, I know the 12 o'clock thing is just a random time. Uh, actually, the second round games um, are at either 5 or 7.30 Wednesday night. Um, so just to get that out there now, but in regards to honestly, we have not thought one iota about our round two. Obviously, we know you know it's going to be West of or Harlan if we're fortunate to get past Ballard, but um, you know we haven't thought about that. I will tell you, uh, Coach Brian, and I did talk last night um, more just uh, agreeing. Um, <laughs> I'll do something different. You're putting me on the spot here. 
more just agreeing not to not uh, share information about each other to uh, our potential opponents if they were to call, which, you know, they haven't called against West Dubuque. And, you know, I would be shocked if any state tournament team reaches out to another state tournament team. So, uh, you know, uh, I mean, it would be sweet. But uh, right now, right now, our, our singular focus is uh, to get to get better to uh, to beat a really, really good Ballard team on Monday night. The big focus, you're right, is is winning game one. And we know that Bryce Rudiger will be making that start. You mentioned that earlier in the podcast. And thank you for fixing that. I, I do see that I have the schedule in front of me. They have noon listed. So thank you for giving us the time of that potential second round game. But the big one will take place Monday, July 17th at 7.30 at beautiful Dwayne Banks Baseball Stadium on the campus of the University of Iowa. Coach, I uh, I think there's, there's one team that's the most dangerous team that could beat the Wallard Catholic Golden Eagles. Would you like my insight on that? Sure, go ahead. Yeah, why not? You're going to give it to me anyway, so let's go. <laughs> I think... The one team that Wallert can't beat is the Wallert softball team who are making a trip to the state tournament, I believe, for the second year in a row. So hopefully you guys don't have to face them and face those drop balls and those rise balls and hit from about 20 feet away. But shout out to the Wallert Catholic softball program as well, taking a trip down to the state tournament. But coach, in all seriousness, before we hit into that podcast killing double play anything you'd like to mention anything you'd like to talk about uh, i mean just to talk about our softball team yeah i mean i'd like to give a shout out to them the other back-to-back trip um coach lang who i'm super close with um does a, does a phenomenal job there you know and uh there's there, there's there's a ton of fun to watch it was great we had pretty much our whole team watch their sub-state final whatever it is called with the girls association when they beat Salt and they go to state. But uh, I do want to give one an extra shout out, all right, to, to Ruth Tauber, um, one of the freshmen. She's a very, very talented freshman. But uh, her dad, Casey, and her brother, Derek, are on our coaching staff, and we've gotten to know Ruth really, really well. Um, so just want to give Ruth a little extra shout out, girl. Um, we're really excited to keep following you here. But um, other than that, um, um, you just want to thank everybody for their support. Um, I've been, you know, I got, I got to Dubuque in the fall of 1999. I've been down, you know, between Waller and Loris have been at a lot, a lot of games at Johnny Petrakis Field, you know, and I am, it's not one saying, oh, we got the, you know, the, that was the best game I've ever seen. You know, we have the best player we've ever had, blah, blah. I mean, those are just one person's opinion, and it's just what people like to say, which is fine. I mean, I've said it as well. But I'm very confident in saying that Wednesday night uh, down at Petrakis against DeWitt was the most people that we have seen uh, down at down at a down at a game there. I think it was right just under 700 paid people, you know, and you know as well as I do. And the and the outfield there, you know, there's certain places you can sit um, without purchasing a ticket, and that it was packed out there. So I'm very comfortable saying there was a good 900 people down there, um, and it was just a cool environment. So I want to thank you know Dewitt traveling really well, and just uh, the debut community uh, in general um, to coming out and just uh, watching watching baseball, hopefully supporting us, but just watching baseball. So that was a pretty cool environment. You know, and we're excited for a couple of days of practice. We've got a few special things going on for the guys with, you know, meals and places in town that want to have us out and just where we're practicing and whatnot. So just want to thank everybody for their support and um, hopefully we can keep it rolling here. Coach, best of luck to you and your players in the program in your 
state championship run, 6-4-3. We're out of here. Postgame show is brought to you by... Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it. Thank you for listening to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. Don't forget to stop by Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star review and also subscribe on Spotify.